0: hello welcome to bible marathon and it's dinner time the word of god we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of god so join us at the table for word dinner i'm excited today is the last ah should i say it that way well yeah today is the last time we, no, not the last time. I want to phrase this correctly. This is the last chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm super excited to be able to say that because of all the times we've had doing Bible study together here, I know that this one has been the longest. I don't even know if it's the longest. I know we did act, but Acts was more of a story like, you know, so we just followed through the story um but romance was more doctrinal so we had a lot of you know teaching so there were chapters that we dealt with and it just took so very long and then other times we went through some and they were really quick so i'm i'm doing i'm really gonna stall a little bit because i would love a few more people to join mainly because like i'm tr- i want to try to end the the book and then kind of give us like a take home like what should we do with the book of romans what's the whole point why was it written and if you've been attending um word dinner for a while you know that we've said something about every book when you approach a book the first thing you want to ask amongst four questions is who wrote the book because the person who wrote the book gives a lot of information into what to expect from the book so paul wrote the book you know that paul was called to the gentiles you know that paul had a very unique ministry he explained very clearly the mystery that was hidden um so he had that ministry specifically he had a teaching ministry and he had an apostolic ministry right? So when you see that Paul wrote the book, you know how to approach it. The book of Acts was written by Luke. So you know that Luke is going to come from a very educated standpoint. That's why he's putting down all the facts clearly, precisely, mentioning days, mentioning people, people's names, locations, times. Like Just imagine that somebody is writing a record. Luke is writing the record of the Book of Acts, and he gets to chapter 20, and he's saying things like, for three years, you know, mentioning that Paul had been doing ministry in a place for three years, night and day, with tears. You know, the fact that he could calculate how long that was done tells you a whole lot about his, his approach, and the fact that he will mention the number of people that were in the, at the upper room, right? Like details. Um, so, the author always helps us with enough information about the book. So I want to ask you a question. Who can tell me why the book of Romans was written? I mean, we've been th- going through this book. We've seen so many things. So can someone help me with like a, a, a pretty good summary of what the book of Romans is about? If I say, take this book, read it and tell me the summary, how can you summarize it? Can anyone help with that? How can we summarize the book of romance? I know chapter 16, but we've read 15 chapters already. So you should already have a good idea what the book is is about. So who wants to take a step? I don't think anybody will be wrong. I'm I'm gonna patiently wait. I want someone to respond. What is hello? Hi, Bankia. Thank you very much.
1: So we should just say any, like, do we have to summarize the whole Hebrew I don't romance. know.
0: Just if someone said, hey, you have you read romance and you say yes, can you tell me what it's about? Since just like, oh, okay, I read the book and this is the story.
1: Okay, I don't think I have the answer. I have like four bits and pieces. Let's hear it. Um, I think one one of the things that really stuck out to me was the part about love of not doing anything that would hinder your neighbors like walk in the faith. Like if you are if you know like i think an example is like alcohol like if you know that um you have a friend that still holds that belief that drinking at all is a sin but you you have that understanding that like it's you can drink maybe like a glass of wine with dinner but like you're not supposed to get drunk you're not supposed to like abuse the substance Mm -hmm. but if you if you have that kind of person next to you for their sake, just don't do it at all because it's not necessary. That like putting someone else's walk higher than just your own pleasures. Um that, that's one of the things that I remember from Romans.
0: All right, thank you. So you just you effectively summarized Romans 14 and part of 15. So good job. All right. Who else? Um Victoria, go ahead. So the question is tell me about the book of Romans as a whole.
2: Okay. um, Can you guys hear me? All right. So yep. the book of Romans, I think the summary would be proving the, the book of Romans is a book that details how salvation, how people get saved. So it started from why man needs salvation, categorized different types of people that need salvation, how salvation came from Abraham, right? Then from the Jews and how it's made available to Gentiles and why basically why no one no one is no one is guiltless in that sense everybody needs saving in a sense and this is how you get saved right and then from verse 12 it starts it starts um no not from verse 12 I think from verse 8 it starts talking about like the the um things that are expected of someone who's romans um romans eight says um there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus it also says it also you know describes how those who are led by the spirit the sons of god are led by the spirit of god and you know different things and from verse 10 isn't 10 9 10 11 thereabouts was talking about how paul really longed for the jews to be saved and how he believes that the salvation of the Gentiles will cause the Jews to be envious and then also bring them into salvation. And then from verse 12, he starts talking about like, um, general, like what is expected of those that have been saved, how we should, you know, um, present our bodies as living sacrifices and also the things that, um, Banker mentioned about love, how we should learn to put others first.
0: Thank you, Vicky. Thank you very much. So, um, um, Dara also says in the chat, the book explains the path to righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. Also talks about God's plan for salvation for all men, and talks about how to conduct ourselves as Christians. So I love the feedback. I'm happy. It means that you guys have been following. The whole point of reading a book is not just to show off that you've read a book. Like if I tell you, "Oh, I've read this book," the question, or the real point, is what has the book done for you? Like, what's the point of reading a book? I can read a hundred books, but if there's nothing there that transforms me, there is, I'm as I'm just the same as someone else who hasn't read it. So it's not one thing to read the book. People think there is something very spiritual about the act of reading the Bible. And to a degree, there is. It's, 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 a, it's a discipline to have. It's something that keeps you in God's, you know, hallowed presence, as it were, seeking and listening to his word. But what's more important than reading the words of a book called the Bible is understanding it. In other words, the word of God is the Bible well understood and interpreted. So after reading the book of Romans, you should be very apt to tell the story of the book. All right. Yanu says something in the chat. Um, One thing that stood out to me and I remember was when we talked about three types of men. I love this. This is very early in the teaching. Wow. You've been like an OG. You've been here for a while. This was when we are teaching um, Romans 1, 2, and 3. All right. At the very beginning where we talked about the morally upright man um, who would be the you know Romans chapter 2 um the immoral man which is what Romans chapter 1 deals with you know the religious man in chapter 3 and now all of them are under the the judgment of God regardless of your status as a Jew or a Gentile mm-hmm. everyone is under the 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 deserved wrath of God for being sinners that's why Romans 3 talks about the fact that you know everyone Has fallen short of the glory of God. And then tells us from there on out, God's plan to resolve that problem. So if you've said that Romans is a book written by Paul to teach about God's plan to save hopeless humanity, that is a great summary. Because that's what the Bible, uh, the book of Romans, starts with and then begins to. Move towards another direction. So he starts with the problem of man, the fall of man, and then shows that God had a plan from the very beginning, proving it by talking about Abraham and David, who had spoken about a time when God will count people righteous, not because of the works they have done, but by faith. And so he starts to build that case from chapter five, all the way to chapter eight, talking about what salvation looks like, how it happened, where Jesus becomes the second Adam and replacing the first Adam. Talks about how God has stepped in to walk in the life of the person who trusts in him in Romans chapter six, seven, and eight, right? You see that conflict in chapter seven, the the man who is redeemed versus the flesh, the sinful nature, and how that fight will continue. But the victory and the solution is in Christ, Romans eight, that Jesus Christ, by the spirit that dwells in you, is working to reform, to transform, to change you. So if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit will also raise you up, right? And it talks about walking in the newness of life, talks about expecting that Christ is coming. One of the most powerful things in the book of Romans is the revelation that the Christian can be assured of Christ's return for them. The spirit in you is the assurance of Christ coming back for you. Romans 8, 11, Romans 8, 16, 17, 18 talks about the redemption of the world when Christ finally returns. Like everything that has been caused by corruption, everything that happened in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that needed the solution will all be fixed, right? Corruption will be destroyed and the the kingdom of God will reign, right? That's kind of like the summary. We looked at Romans 9, 10, 11, and we understood from there that Paul was grieved, that this beautiful message that the Gentiles are receiving, his own people, his kinsmen, the Jews, were rejecting it. And he's like, what do I do? (laughs) I need to show you guys that this is real and true. And So he starts to build his case about God's plan to save, regardless of how hardened they've chosen to be. Like God is still going to save people. Um and commits to his salvation plan. And so he walks through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and just shows the beauty of God's plan in salvation. Look at Romans 9 at, the, at some point, talking about Jacob and Esau, and basically showing that God had a plan to restore the Jews as well. Even though the gospel came through the Jews and was for the Jews, they rejected it. And so God had this grandiose, beautiful plan, to save the Gentiles, which he had prophesied many years ago through the prophets, to save the Gentiles so that the Jews would see that salvation, which was theirs to begin with, and be jealous. And, and we had a very nice conversation about what that looked like, right? What, how did God cause the Jews to be jealous? You know? And then by extension in Romans 11, God's plan is that all the nation of Israel will be saved. Now, it doesn't mean every single person who is a Jew Would be saved, but rather as a nation, they will all admit and agree to the to the to the messiahship of Christ. If that makes sense, and then we now move to this the second part of the book of Romans. The first part was doctrinal. Here's what prop what happened, the fall. Here's the solution. Here's how God wants to restore everything back. Beautiful. Now, based on this beauty, based on this gospel message here's how we ought to live. So Romans 12 to the end goes in that direction. So Romans 12, I'm giving this summary because I feel like it helps to bring it you know, full circle because we're ending it today, hopefully by the grace of God. And <laughs> there I said, amen. And we're going to do a very nice um, you know, summary eventually when we, before we move to the next book, because I feel like there's still some things that, we need to answer in the book of Romans. I feel like the first step is read through, understand it, and then come back. And I think this is kind of like if an assignment for everyone you know, listening. Like on your own, read through the book of Romans. Now that you've been in this class, you've learned so many things about the book, read it yourself and see if you can still come to the same conclusion. Or if you see anything beautiful that we've shared, because that will always happen when you study the scriptures right? Romans 12 talks about, now that God has done all these great, wonderful things for you, you've seen the mercies of God in salvation, you've seen his grace, now offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, live in a certain way, follow a path, and you see that everything from Romans 12, from beginning all the way to the end, is just instructions, instructions in righteousness, right? And he gets those instructions from the Old Testament, I never brought this up um, when we're teaching this, but Paul did not come up with anything. Everything Paul taught was prefigured in the Old Testament. In fact, there are many times he would say, Do this, and then you say, For it is written, and then you'll quote something that the Old Testament said. You know, he does that with many of his epistles, by the way. But so when he says love must be sincere, you know, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, you know, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, these are things that were common themes in the Jew- Jewish tradition. Like, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, that's talking about fervor. That's talking about keeping the fire burning. Like, some concepts there that Paul understood and translated into what we have in our spiritual work today. And then he moves to Romans 13, talking about how you should respect governments, all right? People in power and authority. God has placed them there. Whether it's Tinubu, God forbid, I, I, I take that back. <laughs> Well, But whoever it is that is in power god has ordained that they be there now did he vote them in no but he's sovereign over that choice all right that's what you need to understand that even though god did not select people handpick pick them to do the rubbish they are doing or the great things they are doing god is very much over that decision but even particularly god is sovereign over the idea of leadership in other words god always is god's idea that there is authority that's the point. God's idea is authority. He wants to make sure that there is a system that can punish evildoers and a system that can reward those who do righteousness. That's what Romans 13 is about. Then Romans 14 just took us in another direction because it's like, okay, what do we do with subjects of doubtful things? Now, there are things that are clearly sinful, like lying, stealing, you know, fornication, adultery, um, anything you can think of. Those ones are sins. But there are some issues that are not necessarily sins across board, but they are doubtful issues. So Paul tells us how to handle those ones. And basically the whole idea is walk by faith, meaning don't allow your own convictions that you have solidified cause another person to stumble. So conviction in this case, where you see the word faith in that chapter mostly speaks about your conviction and then love which is just what Banky had already explained that in dealing with people you must start from a place of love which spilled over to Romans 15 where it talks about you know bearing others burdens and seeing other people as in a sense more important than you So if there's anything that will cause them to stumble, don't do those things. Even though you have freedom in Christ and nothing is going to be judged if you did that. Because someone else may have a weak conscience, you're not allowed to live anyhow. And so that's the whole point of Paul's teaching. Don't live anyhow. As a Christian, you are called to a life of honor of God to God and love for the saints. All right. So that's the summary. Then Romans 15 was what we did last time, kind of building on that, and then looking at, um, you know, some special words from the Apostle Paul at the very end of Romans 15, you know, where it's like, okay, now I've said all these things, but I want to start closing my letter. I want to start closing my letter. And we looked at how um, he was very, very, very passionate about, the, the the point of his message, which is what I'm going to show here, um, about his calling, he was kind of trying to validate his calling again for them at this point. So I'm going to just start from there, share my screen, all right? Let me know if you guys can see it. We're in Romans 15 from verse 18 to 20. Romans 15, 18 to 20, says, For I would not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation and we explained that paul was just trying to say hey i have travel plans but let me just summarize my ministry i'm sent to the gentiles i proved that god's word was uh, was was working in them because signs and wonders followed they believed the gospel which is what it means when he says me to make gentiles obedient obedience here is not that they are now going to vote for peter b all right (laughs) and when he says to make the gentiles Some people who listen to this like three or four years from now may not get the joke at that point, or people that are not Nigerians, right? So I have to be super careful with the jokes I crack now. But to make the Gentiles obedient means for the Gentiles to believe the gospel. That's what it means. And he says, by the power of the Spirit, so that everywhere I've gone, I've preached. He now made a statement that I haven't preached to places that the gospel has already prospered. I've gone to places. This way it hasn't. So I don't build an man's foundation, right? And then we also saw how he talked about his journey. And I, I took time to explain that Paul had plans. And I told you, hey, as a Christian, there's nothing wrong with having your plans. You should have plans. As a believer, you should plan your life. You should, you know, set goals, especially when it, it's in line with the kingdom of God and the work of God. Set goals. Be very organized as, to, to the best of your ability but be open to the outcome being different. And that's what we saw with Paul. Paul knew he was going to get to Rome, and that was God's plan to, reach with, to be with them. He said, I wanted to be with you. He started from the very beginning, Romans chapter 1, talking about how he wanted to be with them, but he's writing the letter to them. And he repeats that same thing. I'm coming. I'm hoping that I will get to see you on my journey. But guess what? Paul got to Rome eventually but as a prisoner, having visited some of the highest powers in his day, right? King Agrippa, you know, Festus, Felix, these were people that he got the opportunity to talk to. In fact, one of them said, you have almost convinced me to be a Christian. That's (laughs) how convincing Paul was. You know, these were Roman powers. Think about that. So for someone to hear the words of Paul at that level and say, "Ah, I'm almost feeling like becoming a Christian because of you. That shows you how much impact he had, which would not have been the case if he was doing it his own way, you know, going to Rome his own way. So God, through the persecution he experienced, brought about more expansion of the gospel in that region. So you have to understand that the plan, the methods you might have might be different from God's methods. That's when when the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways, It's it's real. Like it means just that his ways don't look like our ways right and um we're about to get to the final chapter in the book of romans who is excited now what is going to happen in the book of romans and chapter 16. well paul is ending a letter and so we should expect the letter to end with some things so if you write a letter, what, what do you end with, right? You you end with like, you know, best regards, right? When you write a letter, you write best regards, comma, you put your name. So Paul is about to do that. But he knows people in Rome. Now, some of the people he knows in Rome, he has met during his missionary journey. And then those people ended up being in Rome. Some he has just heard of them, as you're going to see as we read. And then some have worked with him on a personal note, like he's been doing ministry and maybe he's preaching somewhere and someone is there cooking the food, you know. Someone is also there like taking care of different things. Someone is writing his letters for him. By the way, did you know that Paul was not always the one writing his letters by hand? So when when you see the letter of Paul to the Romans, which is what we are reading, it's Paul's words, but they are being transcribed by a scribe so someone is writing what he's saying so you have to understand that the flow that's why sometimes he may say something and they'll have to put brackets there because he left the, the line of thought this is something i'll teach you when we go to the next book we're studying because you see more of that there but that's what you realize about the writings of paul and then there's even a, a, the, le- the one we're going to read by the way i'm giving you a clue in that particular book he ends it with See how I write this with my own my own handwriting, <laughs> just so that they know that okay I'm the one. Because people were beginning to doubt, you know, his ministry. Even in Second Corinthians, Paul spent almost half of that book validating his ministry because there were a lot, a lot of false prophets that came in and were teaching the opposite, and were saying they came in his name, and he had to tell them, "Hey, no, it's me. <laughs> I'm not the one that sent these people. I'm different." And so. He ends his letter with greetings to specific people he had worked with, as well as an authenticative or authentic, like a proof of authenticity. All right, so let's get into that. We're going to do a lot of reading, and I'll just give like brief commentary when we get there. So Father, in the name of Jesus, guide us as we read Romans 16, as we see, you know, the, the culmination of the letter, that Paul was writing to the Romans. And let's see its relevance to us today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So I'm guessing you can still see my screen. It's a weird way to start the last chapter, right? He just says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in St. And I want you to do something. As we read through this now, some of the names will be weird, just like it is when an American is trying to list all the nigerian names you know they they butcher it every time you might be seeing that happen when i read through so just forgive me some of these names are i mean they are roman names some are you know very ancient names so but i want you to pay attention as we read through three things number one what's the agenda and i'll tell you why that's important so pay attention as we read there's some that we'll never know but there are some that we can tell the agenda that's one. Second one, I want you to take note of what Paul commended them for. All right. So what did they do? What was it that they were commended for? And then also, the third thing is who were they re- what what relationship did they, did they have with anyone else? So we'll be looking out for their relationships with other people. Because these are powerful things we can learn from this chapter. So like I said again, the first thing what's their gender so you see their name and then you are they male or female number two um what were they commended for and number three what was their relationship with some other party all right so let's do that together you don't need to write every detail down but just watch so i commend to you phoebe our sister who is a servant of the church in saint And when i read this i want to ask myself a question what does servant of the church mean like imagine if i say ah um you are a servant to this church (laughs) today we will not have the right word to explain that if we just said it that way right but what you need to understand is um when when you see servants to the church the word servant there is so is the word doulos which is the word we get deacon from all right so deacon or some, some leader in that right. So that's what Phoebe is. So Phoebe is a deaconess. We, you know, many churches today, they'll say, they, <laughs> it will be like deaconess, you know, and they put their name there. So by the way, all those titles, you know, I have something to say about that. I don't know if, I hope it doesn't take too long. When it comes to titles, right? In the body of Christ, I know in Nigeria we are very, very good at titles, right? So, I mean, that was one of the sh- biggest shocks when I came to the US. Everybody in Nigeria, you have to call them by their title: Pastor this, Apostle this, Evangelist. In fact, the church I was growing up in, there was they 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 took the titles as levels of your of your spiritual growth in ministry. So, it started with brother. You start with brother this, sister this, right? Then you've now worked hard. You have done this. You say, ah, this one has worked very hard in ministry. You now give you ah, evangelist sister, this, or elder sister, this. Then you now move up again. You are now maybe pastor, this. Then if you are like the head pastor, they will now put in their head pastor, this. Like, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And different churches would even switch it up. They will, they will, give, they will use the fivefold ministry as the levels. You start as teacher, this. Right, then pastor this, then evangelist this, then well, you're not at the top, 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 you're not apostles this. I'm like, no, no. You have to understand that those things are not levels in ministry, but they are ver- they are they are expressions of ministry. All right. They are, they are, that's why they are called the fivefold, and I think it's a good way to call it fivefold ministry. Some people call it the fourfold ministry because um pastoring teachers is what it says in the in the original. It's not pastors and teachers. Mm-hmm is pastoring teachers. Um, But that's a conversation for another day. So when you look at those things, what you need to realize is that titles are just titles. At the end of the day, it is what have you been called to do? So when Phoebe today might have been called Dickiness Phoebe, but what is Paul calling her? Phoebe. And he's just describing her work. All right. So there's nothing more spiritual when you call people. Like when I came here, John Piper, Matt Chandler, I call them by their names. But I, I'm not saying that you should not give respect or honor to people. So there's no way I would call a pastor by his name. That's just me. Personal preference. But if someone were to call me, for example, now that I'm a pastor by my name, I won't feel anyhow because I have that exposure and I understand that your title doesn't change anything. It's the, it's the call and the anointing that qualifies you. It's nothing else, all right? So what does he say they should do to her? He says, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Why? Because she had done so much. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. So Paul is saying this person has been a helper. This Phoebe has been a helper in many ways. And he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, these names will sound familiar to you, right? You've heard Priscilla and Aquila so many times. Well, they're amazing. They're an amazing couple. Yeah, and, and, and look at what Paul calls them, fellow workers. So he saw them to a degree at the same level as he was. But we worked together in this same gospel. Yes, I have a special ministry because God called me uniquely to the Gentiles it doesn't make me any higher than you. We are fellow workers, fellow ministers in this. And then one thing you also realize is Priscilla is mentioned first, which have, has made a lot of theologians uh, uh, say that she was the one that was, in a sense, the pastor of that church that met in her house, because um, there was a church that met in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. Um, so, And they were a very tight couple, very, very tight couple. By the way, let me ask you a question. So when you hear Priscilla and Aquila, you're like, ah, that's like couple goals, right? They're in ministry. They're mentioned together. They're highly respected. Can you guys still hear me? They're highly respected. But then there's another couple mentioned in the, in the New Testament that is like the opposite of Priscilla and Aquila.
1: And and Sapphira.
0: Exactly. And, you know, it's just funny, the parallels we see in the scriptures. Ananias and Sapphira, instead of them serving wholeheartedly, they conspired, you know, to, 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 to lie against God. And many people have questions about that story, but we'll talk about it some other time, I'm sure. But notice, Priscilla and Aquila were married. They were a couple, and they had a house. He said, why did Paul talk to them? He said, Greet them for me because they risked their own necks for my life. So there was a situation. And if you read the book of Acts, some of these things will make sense to you, right? When you read the book of Acts, you get the story better because Acts is like a storytelling of what it was like to preach the gospel from when they received the Spirit to like the end of the book where Paul's journey ended at Rome, Right? That's kind kind of like the story. But when you look there, you see a lot of things that were happening. And these people had risked their lives for Paul. And he says, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. What does that tell you? Priscilla and Aquila were very likely Gentiles. So these were not Jews. These were Gentiles who heard the gospel, believed it, grew in ministry, and started supporting Paul as fellow workers. He says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house, like I just said. So I want to talk about something now because um, (sighs) a lot of people spiritualize smaller churches or churches that meet in a house. There's this whole home church movement, right, Um, that's growing really big. And I want to make it very clear those don't the size of a church doesn't make it more spiritual or less spiritual. All right. Um and it's I mean it's not I don't think it's necessary to to, to talk too much on that. But I think a lot of people have kind of said, oh, if you're in a church and it's just big and you have too many members, because I've had people say that when you have too many members in a church, then it's no longer going to be as spiritual because now there's no mm-hmm. there's no like you're too many, nobody can, you can't access the pastor and all of that. Now, you need to understand that in those big churches, it's God's idea and design that there are smaller groups. God wants people to be known, seen, and heard. All right? So God's idea of church is not you attending a church and you get in there, you don't know the person sitting to your left or your right, and you do nothing about it. Every Sunday, you go, you get you listen to the word, you are blessed, you dance, you go home. Next day you come. that's not God's plan. God's plan is that you are planted in a church, somebody knows you. As much as possible, your pastor knows you. But there are sometimes that is not scalable enough. So you must have a leader that you are submitted to. So imagine Paul brought the gospel to Priscilla and Aquila. They heard it. Now a church is meeting at their house. Who are they reporting to? Who are they being you know submitted to? Priscilla and Aquila. All right, so when Paul is greeting them, he says, greet the people that are leading that church, but also the people in their house, greet them for me. So that's how, that's the way it should work. But meeting in their house does not mean they did not meet in the open, in bigger venues. Because some people are like, you know, I've heard someone say, why do people meet, um, people should not be getting halls or big stadiums, or like, why should you do church in, In a cinema hall, like, is that even godly? Weird stuff like that. Have you heard that before? You know, some people that attack churches based on where they meet. And you have to realize that the church is the gathering, it's not the building. So if I decide to gather in a specific place and we worship God there, that place becomes the church because we are there. It's not the building that makes it the church. In fact, there are some church buildings. In the UK right now, that are are shut down and they're doing other things inside there. It looks like a church, but they are doing other things inside the building. That's no longer a church because they're doing something else there. It becomes a church when Christians gather, when believers gather there. All right. That's super important. Um, To prove my point further, one of the places that they met was like Acts, Acts chapter 19, I think it's verse 9. Yeah. So look at where Paul was preaching, for example. Verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. This was the synagogue. So he went to the Jews' place of worship and was arguing from the scriptures, proving to them that Jesus was truly the Christ. But then what, what happened? When, he was hardy, when some were hardened, he went to the synagogue, which was meant to be a place of worship, But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, which is the Christian faith, that's what the way is, before the multitude, what did he do? He departed from them and withdrew the disciples. So he had been preaching. There were people who came against him. He took his own disciples that believed him. And then what did he do? Reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he went to a school. He went to a lecture theater (laughs) and started teaching there. So anywhere you go, basically... Once the word of God is taught and there is fellowship with the brethren, that is church. I just wanted to establish that even further so that if you, maybe you've not had any objection yet, but if you meet someone that tells you, you know, something against that, you know how to respond. All right. So it says, I greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved (laughs) Epeneus. Epeneus. Epinetus, yeah, I think I got it. I used to be very good at pronouncing all these names, but some of them, when you see A and E together, it just scatters your head. Uh, epinetus who is the first fruit of archaea to Christ? What does that mean? Who knows what the meaning of first fruit of Achaia to Christ? What does that mean? The first person disciple. discipled. Uh, okay, what, who else has a different opinion? Who is Akia? Who was here when we were reading the Book of Acts? I think that's why I should ask. Akia is not a person. <laughs> so when he says who was who is the first fruit wow. of Akia? When he says the first it's fruit the of Akia,
1: that believed in the city of
0: Achaia. Exactly. So they brought the gospel there, and this is one person that turned. The their um what's it called turned to believe. All right, so it was, it was a province in um, the Roman Empire. Basically, that's Akia. So the first fruit of Akia to Christ. When you see first fruits, you see why Bible context is important. Because someone will see first fruits now and start thinking money that you take at the beginning of the month or the beginning of the year as a seed to God or something like that. But you have to understand that first fruits. Can, be, can mean the first of something. It can be anything, right? So Jesus Christ is the first fruit in what sense? First to rise from the dead, never to die again. So he's the first fruit in that light. Um, if, I have, if, I, if I have a farm and the first plant that comes out of that farm, that's my first fruit. It doesn't necessarily mean it is like tight or offering. You get like, you have to understand the context. So first fruits of Achaia to Christ is the first person in that city, which is in the Roman Empire, in a Gentile nation, to come to Christ. So he says, Greet who? That guy, Epanus, Epanetus, Ep- sorry. And then greet Mary, who labored much for us. Now, so a lot of people have said, Well, this could be Mary in Jesus' time. I doubt that, because Paul came a lot longer after, um, a little longer after. Um, but Mary was a very popular name. In fact, if you read the Bible carefully, you see like six or seven Marys, you know? So Mary is just a name, like just how you have Tunde today and Tunde is everywhere or Bosse or, you know, Jessica. Jessica's name is too popular, Seth. So like, that's how it is um, there. So Mary was another person who worked. Then Greet Andronicus and Junia, andronicus and junior my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles think about this so andronicus some people say is a guy junior is a woman very very because there are some external sources that refer to junior so um, that's that one is very easy to prove it says, my countrymen and fellow prisoners. So these people were also in jail for the gospel. That's serious. And, and it says, they were, um, uh, they were of notes amongst the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now, there's this whole idea that women should, you know, there's this fight against women being in ministry. And I've talked about it a lot. Women have a very important part to play in ministry. Very, very important. Like, if you look at the number of people Paul has mentioned, you will not be surprised why we have <laughs> more women in church today than men. Like, it's kind of like, it's not a new phenomenon. I think even back then, look at the number of people he has listed, and almost equal. Who is who has been taking note of the gender? You notice that a lot of women have been mentioned as well. and I'm still, still yet to see some more, you know. And when he says, my countrymen, Just because it says countrymen, it doesn't mean, you know, just the same way you can say all men will be saved and it doesn't mean like only male human beings, right? So it's that same language here. So my country people and my fellow prisoners who are of note amongst the apostles, meaning the apostles knew these people closely. And then it says they were in Christ before me. So Paul is even speaking to people who are, are, you know, advanced in their faith before he even came. And then he's greeting Amplia, my beloved in the Lord. So this is someone who is dear to him personally. So it's like, there's someone that maybe has worked with him in ministry. We don't know the details, you know. Someone said, we have four Tundas in my office. <laughs> Just the office alone. Wow. I heard that Femi and Tunde are very dangerous people. Please write a 10-page essay proving that that's not true it's not always it's not you don't like i said titles are just what you add to you know people the real essence of a person is depressing so that's on me <laughs> all right well let's go on greet urbanos this name is very funny it is like one of these it Is looks like an evil name <laughs> i'm sorry greet brothers, are fellow worker in Christ and stackis, my beloved, so same thing, see that same flow like you know, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. he's just playing with a lot. I feel like at this point he's just greeting all the people that come into his mind. A lot of people greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. he's not an Aristo. by the way, some <laughs> I'm sorry. I know, like, you know where you have Festus? Those names. We had to find the Yoruba Festus. I've seen it before. I'm just saying. Festus, uh, pius That's As I said, it sounds like an evil name, but please, just I'm just joking here. Um, greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Now, um, a lot of scholars have said that when Paul, Paul did not greet, greet Aristobulus in this case, which seems to infer that people were meeting in his house but he was not necessarily saved. So that's a possibility where the people meeting in a particular location may be be in a place that is owned by someone who is not even a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's like, wow, you know, come to Christ, believe, you know. But that's, that's the theory some people have. It's possible he was also saved. Then great Herodion, when you see a name like this, you know that they have very strong affiliations with the Roman people at this point because Herod had like a Jewish stroke Roman um, origin, right? So when you see Herodion, Herodias, all those names, you know that it's, it's connected. It's like how we have, um, you know, Olu. Somebody's name starts with Olu, 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 right? You can have Olufemi, you can have... Um, Orudapo, or Chigozie, um Chidebere—all those names. Like, there's always that thing that is consistent. So you can see that theme in in the naming here too, as well. But Paul had a relationship with this person. He Said, "My countryman," because Paul also had dual citizenship. Many of you know, right? He was not only Jewish; he was Roman. He had Roman citizenship as well. So I greet those who are the household of Narcissus and. We don't know if he's a narcissist, but just his name just looks like that. I knew I'll have a lot of fun reading these names. <laughs> and then Greet Trifina and Trifosa, which I think might be twins. It's very likely that they are twins, you know. But they are also one of them is a lady, I don't know which one, but they've labored said <laughs> so this was an Edo. <laughs> He said, who have labored in the Lord, greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Notice this. See, there's a difference here, and I want to point this out to you. Tryphena and Tryphosa have labored in the Lord. But Paul says, greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Guys, there's a, there are differences in levels of, 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 of work when it comes to the ministry. There's some people who just do the barest minimum. Right, just okay. To come to church, I'll come to church, you know, and that's good. But God is calling us to more. Like the fact that Paul is even showing distinctions here. This one's labored in Lord, but this one labored much more. There's some you will call my beloved. There's some that I will say we're, we're my fellow countrymen, and then there are others who are like the church that meets there. And you have to understand that when it comes to the Christian faith. The bare minimum is not the ideal. A lot of Christians just want to do, just they just want to get by. But can your story be told when you leave the earth that ah Tommy me, Tommy me served God? Like, can that be something somebody will see? Like, ah, if there's anything I know about this person, no. that church, there she will never default. She will work, she works hard, she does this, she does that. You know, the fact that Somebody died in the book of Acts. A member of the church died. And everybody said, Hey, eh, this one must not die. <laughs> this one must not die. They went to get Paul to raise her up. I think it's Lydia. Is it Lydia or Dorcas? I think it's Dorcas. And she was sick and they had to beg. And they, you know, and the apostles came and, and she came back. Like just imagine that someone someone dies, and because of how much of a blessing they were, financially, you know, um. Physically and in every way, spiritually, you have to want to preserve their lives. Like, let that be your testimony. You might not be at a place now where you're like very sure of what God has called you to do fully, but there's one thing you are sure of God has called you to preach the gospel. So, do that one. Start there. Talk sorry, to people.
2: Yeah. I need your
0: one of the two. I'm not sure. I was, if you can verify that, please. I know one of them sold purple. Lydia sold purple. I think she, she it's an act. You can verify and just put it in the chat for us. Um, that will help. So the point is, we, we may, you may not know specifically at this point, maybe, oh, am I called to pastor? Am I called to do this? But you know you are called to preach the gospel. That's what's important. So just, just make sure you are doing that with your time with your words, with your money. Do you know that when you give to any, any ministry or anything that is doing the work of God, you are in a sense preaching the word. Like Paul equated people who were giving in their generosity as being partners together with him. So anything that you can do to support the work of the ministry is important. All right. Then greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. And this is very interesting. What does he mean? It doesn't mean Paul's mom. He's saying that Rufus's mom has now become like a mom to me. All right. So that's the, that's the, the, the mean. Let me see if I can find a better translation that would, um, that would help. Okay, NIV. It says, Great Rufus, chosen the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. All right. So that's what, that's how King James puts this, his mother and mine. And this is where you see the same TSKS rule um, apply. I don't know if I've ever discussed the TSKS rule, where you, you, you know, the word and. Oh, I have, but it's in the past. Just time. Anyway, sometimes when you see the word and in the scriptures, it's it's not just serving as an amalgamation of two thoughts. Sometimes it just means one which is the same as the other. So there is, for example, um, Jesus said, unless you are born of water and, of, and spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. Some people make that distinction that there is water and there is spirit. But really what Jesus had in mind was water, which is the spirit. Like the spirit is what really gets a person born again, but you, as a Jew, would understand the principle of water as something that washes a person. So that was the use of the word and there. So it's not like you are born of water and then you are born of spirit, then yes, you are saved. No, because people have used that to teach that water baptism is a requirement for salvation. That's not true. You know, there are times where it says, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean God separate, Father separate. is the God and Father of Jesus Christ, right? So... Same thing we see here, but it's used differently. But it's the same TSKS principle. You can do a research on that. It's got the, it's called the Grandville Sharp Rule. All right. These are some theological things that, you know, sometimes it helps you in your reading of scripture. That's why I'm bringing it up. So sometimes you see the word and, and you have to understand the greater context. All right now he greets more people so let's say we can run through this Asyncritos, which is like a very interesting name philegon hermas patrobas hermes and the brethren who are with them greet philologos by the way this name philo when you see philo it's, it means love so philologos would be maybe love of a word or something um Julia again, but this is another Julia. Nerius and his sister, Olympus. These are names that I'm, I'm sure if you are writing now you've given up because it's just a lot of names. And um all the saints who are with them. Um Daphne, I see your hand up real quick. You're muted.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that all these names a lot of Catholics have these kind of names. Yeah, people born into Catholics
0: yeah i think it's a huge it's a huge deal in the roman catholic church to have names that are similar to saints it's a it's a huge deal um but yeah if you like any of these names you can name your children just that people will be confused <laughs> it's we had to be hard to is it nereus Nick Nere, K- patrobas they start speaking in tongues to say the name <laughs> okay so and then then we get to one of the most powerful verses in the whole of the bible Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. You know. So Paul has finished greeting most of them. He's still going to continue greeting, by the way. You may think that this is the end, but that's not the end. But well, why did I say this one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible? Well, mm-hmm. I've done that teaching before, where you may see some things instructed in the Bible, and you have to mm-hmm. ask yourself your question. You have to ask yourself a question. What's the cultural context of this instruction so if you go to belgium and you read this they understand it immediately because that's how they greet each other but that's not how it happened in the u.s you don't go to someone and say ah you start you know kissing their their cheeks you know i can guess the the kind of parents that would name their children tryphina and tryphosa they are, word, they are worded people. They're like, ah, must find our, by our children's names must be from the Bible. Nowhere else. <laughs> All right. So basically, when you see greet one another with the holy kiss, it's basically just communicating, hey, let there be a sense of love amongst you. So greet each other. You know, I've greeted you, but when you gather together, you know, mm-hmm. greet each other. It could be a hug, whatever works in your context. And he says, the churches of Christ greet you. Now, at this point Paul switches and it seems like here is the one that is writing because you see some things that will give us that clue because then we'll start this way we even know who was writing for him so pay attention I'm going to read through verse 17 now I urge you brethren those note those who cause divisions and offenses (coughs) sorry contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them Paul always in every letter that he wrote warned against false teachers and against those who brought division, because it was common. he says, stay away from them, avoid them. For those are such who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. So it tells you where, what, what their motivation is. They want to be fed. And so they are causing trouble and strife. He says, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the heart of the simple but for for your obedience has become known to all therefore i am glad on your behalf but i want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil so he's saying hey careful very very careful come and teach the wrong things they're gonna want to steal your faith cause you to stumble but i've said avoid them and then look at how he says this against false all false teachers you know he says, and the God of peace. We've looked at God called the God of patience. look at God being called the God of comfort. Now we're seeing He's the God of peace. Why peace here? Because these people are bringing division and offenses. So He's bringing, is appealing to that aspect of God's nature, that He's the God of peace. He will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Don't worry. These people that are teaching nonsense, He will deal with them very soon. But till then, stay alert. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, he, continue with, he continues with his greeting. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipata. <laughs> <Sosipated>. <laughs> my countrymen greet you. Now, Paul now says, okay, come and introduce yourself, Tertius," Because <laughs> now, you're like, I thought it was, Ro- it was Paul writing. Well, Paul was the one writing with his words, but someone was writing for him. That's what I said at the very beginning. So Tertius was the scribe that was with Paul when he was writing this letter. It says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So who wrote the, the, the book of Romans? If I ask you tomorrow, I want to hear this answer. This is the answer I want to hear. This is how I know you've been in this class. So listen to me now. This is how I know that you followed us to the end, or at least you made it to this particular last class that we have on the book of Romans. You're going to say, Tertius wrote it as Paul dictated it, all right? That's the answer. That's the biblical, accurate, theology. If you answer this one somewhere, you say, ah, sir, well done, sir. Well done, ma. I respect you. So Tertius wrote the book of Romans as dictated by Apostle Paul, all right? Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Now he's sending greetings from the people who are with him where he's at, to them at Rome. Right? So that's why Tertius is greeting. Timothy is also greeting, right? They are the ones with Paul at this point. So he's like sending greetings back. All right? And then verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then he rounds up with very very three very powerful i call them doxology um verses Mm -hmm. so let's read this together as we round this off okay read it wherever you are you don't have to unmute yourself but i want you to read it and understand what he's saying so he's ending his this is how to end an epistle he says now to him he's ending with praise that's how to end everything you do with praise Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Oh my God. There's no time to expound on this verse, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. This is him saying, first of all, I have a gospel that I've preached to you. The origin is from God, from Jesus, from the prophetic scriptures, and by the commandment of the everlasting God. So he's saying it's my gospel, but the origin is divine. Very important. And then he ends it again with praise to God alone. Hallelujah. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of the book of Romans. Now, we'll take questions next week. We're already out of time. And I just want to announce the book that we are going to be reading next starting next week, the next book. And I want you guys to be ready. If you don't already have a book dedicated to Word Dinner, this is a great opportunity to start afresh, you know, just any book that you can take notes and write your questions and stuff. This is a great time to do it. And if you've not been following any of the past readings, start afresh, like get into the Word with us. So I want you guys to guess in the the chat what the next book is. If you know it, you know, if you've heard it from me, don't type it, please. If you heard it from me, don't type it. All right, so let's see. All right, I've seen some very good guesses. Colossians, I've given a lot of clues in today's teaching about what the book would be. Remember I mentioned in that book, Paul said, see how I write with my hands, you know. Okay, people are saying Corinthians, 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 now, wow. Which of the Corinthians? <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Well, from the beginning. (laughs) Okay. So, well, the correct answer to that question of the book that we're going to be reading next is, if you know it, type it. The people that know it that we're waiting. Okay, good. I started to see it. Galatians. All right. So the book we're reading is Galatians and it's a beautiful way to continue from the book of romans and you see you see the reason why all right when we get there but romans is such a great book i want to recommend that you go back to it review it answer questions ask questions that you have from the book go back listen to some of the podcast recordings we've had all right that will really bless you immensely so get ready for the book of galatians next It's going to be a really beautiful book. We'll rush through it as much as we can. But next week, let's meet here. What's next week, Friday? What day is it? 10th. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. We might do something else before we get into Galatians because I very likely will not be available. But don't worry, I'll communicate it to everyone. All right. Any questions before we close? Any questions before we close? All right, I think we're good. There are no questions. I'm going to pray and I will be out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the journey through the book of Romans, seeing your plan, your divine plan of salvation unfold. Thank you for giving this mystery to the Apostle Paul who diligently taught it and expounded on it. And now we have it clearly explained to us thank you because it's the revelation of god's plan to save by works but by faith alone trusting in what christ has done alone and ultimately to your glory alone we thank you we give you praise in jesus mighty name amen amen all right Whew. that was an awesome meal. thank you for joining us as we studied the word of god If you would like to join the actual world dinner sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disher.page. It's always on Fridays 9pm West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.